All right, Luke chapter 1. Hope you enjoyed the, the walk through, through the book of John. Luke is a very different individual. <laughs> Let me just tell you a little bit about the person of Luke, because we actually have some history on him. <clears throat> most of, the, most of, uh, of you know that Luke was a physician, correct? Um, you, you know he's a doctor. That will, ch that will affect the way that Luke writes about some things, which I find really interesting. And when we get there, uh, for example, he separates all spiritual and all physical illnesses, and he refers to some things as epilepsy or, you know, seizures or the like, and does not refer to them as being caused by demons. Others he does, and he's, he sorts those out. But there's a lot more to Luke than this. Luke was also, is also one of the best historians of the ancient world. Luke used to be a punching bag for scholars because they would say, he got that wrong, he got this wrong, he got that wrong. But you see, the thing is, scholars die and people keep digging and they keep finding fact after fact after fact that they disputed and Luke is right time after time after time. He also, as you will see as we go through the book, has information in his book that is not in the others. Now, when we do the parables, I'm actually going to do a chart up um, on the PowerPoint to show you how complicated this can be. But for example, Mark, the book of Mark and the book of John don't cover the birth of Jesus at all. Uh, Matthew mentions virgin birth. Uh, Luke has a lot more inside, including Mary's prayer upon finding out she was pregnant that the other do not have. And studying all of this, you might think, well, what's the point? Oh, there are a lot of points to be made. I believe that Luke sat down with Mary and got her story in several instances. There are other instances where the only way you could get this information was to sit down with the individual do not come up to me later and go, no, God could have told him. Luke was not the kind of guy who would have written what a vision told him. He needed to sit down. He was a man of science. He was also an artist. The first icons, if you um, ever know, if you know anything about the Orthodox Church, they do not um, believe it is acceptable to make a statue, let's say, of a saint or of a bishop. They believe that um, that is creating a graven image. However, you can paint, but in the painting even, they do not do 3D painting. If you watch, if, if you look at um, Renoir or um, Van Gogh or any really, um, of the representative paintings, not like a Jackson Pollock, uh, but um, in other words, not modern art, but standard art art. You, they work really hard to show you the boats back here and these people over here. Icons are flat in perspective. And that way they feel that they have um, honored God's command. What you may not know is the Orthodox Church looks upon Luke as the first one to create these. 
We do not have any of his paintings, but there's enough noise in history to believe that the Orthodox Church is correct, that Luke did paint a lot. So painter, author, historian, physician. That's a pretty impressive individual. We would, have call, we would call him today a Renaissance man, and I would say, well, but Renaissance wasn't going to happen for a century and a half. So he was well ahead of his time on this. There are people like this. Uh, there was a hymn writer I was referring to in a discussion that was uh, his family apprenticed him to a cabinet maker at the age of 11. He had no schooling after that. And his mom and dad could not feed him, so he had to live in a cabinet maker's shop. And every day he was there 24-7. He taught himself Hebrew, Greek, Latin, German, and French. Uh, who are these people? You know, they're, they're, they come among us. Luke is one of those people. Um, do you have any personal bits about him, or do we just want to enter the text? Okay. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Several things leap to mind here. If you watch the History Channel and the Discovery Channel, every so often you will find a program there um, when they can break away from you know, naked people in the wild, and they chose to do that, so why should I have to watch them suffer? If they want to go through it, go through it. Anyway, or Hitler or something, and they will do something uh, like the lost books of the Bible. Let me say for the, for the thousandth time, they're not lost. We know where they are. You can read them online if you want to. They're the dead, boring books, is what they are. They've, a lot of them are Gnostic, like the Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of Thomas is a very old gospel, but it is not written by Thomas. It was found in a Gnostic library, uh, Hag Hamadi, and they, um, Nag Hamadi, they, and they, they've, it exists of a whole bunch of disconnected sayings, reportedly, of Jesus. Some of them sound kind of Jesus-y, <laughs> and some of them, no, they're not. Then you have the Gospel of Judas. Do you remember a few years ago when everybody was super excited, they found the Gospel of Judas? Oh, you Christians are in trouble now. And then it, uh, how quiet everything got? It's because the Gospel of Judas was late. Uh, Gospel, of Thomas, it, Gospel of Thomas could have been written as, as, early, as late as 150, most people are going to move it closer to 200, 230. Uh, Gospel of Judas, probably 200, 230. Uh, there's the Gospel of Peter. Um, that one almost made it in the Bible for a while, but not enough Christians trusted it, and so it's shelved, but you can read it. That's different than the Acts of Peter, which nobody accepted. I mean, they're, they're all out there. People wrote stuff, and we have a lot of it. Luke's looking out all over this going, you know what they really need is an absolute investigated solid account. And so he applies his scientific mind to the gospel. 
did he use other sources? Sure. Um, but some of them were, would have been written, like the Q document, Kel, uh, the theory is, the source document. The, um, I'm not sure why I did that for source. Hmm. Anyway, the germ, the original Adam from which, regardless. Um, Luke would have used every source he could have gotten, written and spoken, plus, this is huge, huge, he was also a historian, an investigator of what God was doing next. Now that Jesus has come and was crucified and has ascended, what's happening next? And next, Luke uh, volume 2 is the book of Acts. So he is, he is openly saying, I want to get this down because people are telling stories. I want to have a coherent account. And he does until he disappears from history in Acts 20-something. He goes away. In Acts, by the way, you can tell when he's present and when he isn't by his pronouns. Sometimes he'll talk about Paul, he, and they. And other times, it's we, us. So you can tell when Luke has joined him and when he leaves. And it's more than once uh, in the book of Acts. So... Um, Patrick, Patrick, yes. I believe that the book of Mark was really the gospel of St. Peter. Yes. Yeah. I believe that, uh, that he says, we were with him three years. We didn't get it. I'm writing this. You need to get it. You're exactly <laughs> right. And John, of course, writes his book later to kind of put in some missing things. And there's a lot missing in John. John has no parables. John doesn't do the birth story. You know, it's kind of like everybody knows that stuff. I'm going to do this stuff. But even John later would write First um, John by saying, we're eyewitnesses. You need to look, and why would he stress that? Because they were dying off by that stage. Don't listen to everybody's rumors. I'm reading um, an amazing book by Simon Montefiore uh, called Jerusalem, a biography. And don't be put off. It's thick. It's heavy. It's at Costco for $12.49. And it's fascinating. It's, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't lie to you. If it was a boring book or hard to get through, I would, not I would not ask you to go get it. I'm saying it is worth the read, especially the first, I would say, 200 pages because that covers most of what you would know about Jerusalem and the slaughter there that would start because of a rumor. Because now, the, and the number of messiahs that wanted to pop up and then were slaughtered. It was just, you need, need to have a look at that. So Luke says, I'm gonna get it all down. Now here, it's also where we hit our first point of um, discussion. I don't know if I'd call it controversy. Was Theophilus a real individual named Theophilus, or it, is that a metaphor for all people who love God? Because the name Theophilus means one who loves God. I, I don't know. I've not seen anything convincing about a guy named Theophilus that lived in this town and he, he commissioned Luke to write the books. I don't know that it matters either way. Do you have a thought on that? No, except that there are a number of Paul's colleagues that we could name, five or six of them, and never, never does this one come up. This seems to be more of an, a literary now, that's an interesting point. Yes, we could name, you know, Timothy, Titus, Aristarchus. 
Aristobulus and, and on we can go. Um, but in any case, those were names of people that were his associates, but not uh, a man of his name. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Are we ready? In the time of Herod, oh my goodness. <laughs> Um, if, you, if you don't have anything to do for the next three years, um, trace all the Herods and sort out which Herod is which Herod. Oh my God, it's not easy. There, in this book, by the way, it actually has a chart in the back, and I gave up halfway through the chart. I went, you know, I don't care. Named Herod, bad person. That's all I'm going with right now. They were insane. They killed their own children in front of them because they thought one day that kid may want to take my throne. They'd kill wives and marry another woman who she had killed her husband, uh, so they made a good team. And then they go about, uh, the, the murders of within their own families is just, it, it, it goes beyond bizarre. But Herods were good at something. They were really good at building. And so the, the new temple that was being finished about the time of Jesus, that was from Herod. But he also cre he made hills. Uh, they called them mounts, uh, but there were hills. Artificial. And then filling the top of it with walled enclosures and amazing gardens and waterfalls. And they were, um, they were amazing at that. But they were also brutal. And so this is not a good time. King of Judea. There was a priest named Zechariah, and I love the way he starts, and this, here's, who belonged to the priestly division of Abiah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Well, I'm to stop. Is Luke saying these people have no sin? I don't, I don't think so. Yes, Albert. Herod was really a half-blooded Jew, yeah. and that's why he had he was able to to abide with the Jews in Jerusalem. They were able to tolerate him, and so that's why this thing worked out so well. Um, but there's a lot more in background. Oh, there. Yeah, there, there, yeah. Herod was From half Galilee. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. He was half Arab. Yes, that's right. Uh, but he would pretend to be Jewish when it worked for him. But out of sight, he did not live, according to the law, at all. And John the Baptist called him on it and lost his head over it. Um, anyway, and by the way, Salome going to the mom, and the mom says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. What we know about Salome and her mom, that was not an unusual response. They cut people up all the time. We think of Jesus, we see the three crosses, please remember that sometimes they would, they would actually crucify 6,000 in two-month period. And the hammering and screaming never stopped. The horror never stopped. Yes? When Jesus heard of John's death, he mourned it so very much. He could have kept John from being killed, but I believe that John had fulfilled his mission. And every, he allowed him to go on to be with the Lord. Every gift ends. Yes. And, and that's something which is, we got to remember. And so we're not in the camp that says... Uh, there are miracles um, anytime I want one, but we're also not in a camp that says God doesn't do miracles. What we say is all gifts show up when God wants them to show up. They will do what he wants them to, be, to do, 
and then they will end. Um, and I don't like that about the universe, frankly. I want a miracle when I want a miracle, right? Is it all right to ask for them? Yeah, I think we've been given permission to. So, but back to these, this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth were not perfect without sin. This is a phrase, they were righteous. The Jews have a classification to call people righteous and declare them righteous. Um, and it's, you know, Schindler was not a good man, but in the Schindler's list, Schindler, but because of the way he, he risked his life and impoverished himself to save the Jews, which is still something historians look at and go, huh? Because Schindler was not known as being a faithful guy to his wife or good to anybody. How? Why? But after he died, he was buried in Israel and declared by the Knesset, their, their government and the rabbis, a righteous man. Uh, and it's really because this is the way they live their life. Elizabeth and Zechariah are good people, he's saying. These are good people. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Now, medical wisdom of the day was that the woman received and then conceived. They, the egg thing there, they didn't understand that a woman has an egg and it could be that the man is not able to, to, uh, to make a baby. That was just not understood. And so we're, we're hearing the language of the first century. One of them was infertile. Um, and now he says, and they're very old. Well, now you've you kind of come up against your limit uh, of being able to conceive. But why this is brought up, well, yes, there's going to be a miraculous birth, but I like this. They were blameless but unable to conceive. Let us not assume that if you do not receive a gift from God, that he doesn't like you. Back in that era, not being able to conceive was one of the greatest curses. I will tell you that every year when we have baby dedication, which I love, I support, and I'm, I want to continue, we have some young couples who don't come that day because they've been trying to conceive for years. And it just hurts. Times that by a thousand and cultural disapproval of you because you didn't conceive. That's what they were living for. And so here Luke declares they were blameless, they were righteous. That's not why they couldn't conceive. Does that help? That's why they put that, he butts that right together, is to make an early point. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, <laughs> I love the way it's phrased, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go up to the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Um, there were a lot of priests, and therefore they did have them in sections, and... I'm not sure why they didn't have a strict rota that said, this guy serves this time, this size, but they would choose by lot. A lot could be as simple as a stick standing up being released and where it fell. 
more often it was stones in a bag. And one of the stones would be, you know, the stone, whatever stone it was that said, all right, you you get picked. Um, They weren't standing around going, you know, they, they had... They had other matters, but that's the same concept. And the, the idea there was that God is the one who decided through the chance who he wanted that day. That's how they picked an apostle, for goodness sake. Matthias, and of his great works, we don't know any. So when the time came for the burning of the incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. I would say that's an entirely appropriate response, wouldn't you? Absolutely, yes. You know, because they don't look like they do in the movies where they're, you know, smiling, full of light, and got the big wings attached, you know. Um, No, even Daniel, when he saw, righteous, powerful Daniel, when he saw an angel... He says, I fell down as if I were dead, which means he fainted. Um, I've talked to people that say they see angels all the time, and and I understand. I see things too, but um, to have one show up for you, I think, is a different (laughs) situation. Uh, When Zechariah saw him start, the angel said to him, do not be afraid. That do not be afraid or fear not is the most often given command in the New Testament. Don't be afraid. In that cold, and just keep that in your head. Elizabeth, your wife, I'm sorry, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, uh, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Just stop here for a minute. You have a son who's an itinerant preacher, can't afford proper clothing, so it's really rough, can't afford proper food, doesn't groom, and is out in the wilderness, doesn't own a home, is killed by the authorities before, probably before the age of 32 or so, right in there. Would society look upon that life and say, well, that was a pretty successful life? No. Always remind yourself and remind your kids and grandkids, it's the sight of the Lord we're concerned about. Not the sight of human beings. So, think of it. Wouldn't that be amazing to have people say, he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. You know, not only that, but Jesus says of, of all the prophets that had ever been, he's the greatest isn't that a compliment? He, yes. In fact, he, I'd say he went further. If I remember correctly, he said, of all men, yeah, of all men born yes. of women, none yeah. has been greater than John the Baptist. Wow. Wouldn't you love to have that said about you or your grandkid or something? You know, we look at it, one of Cammy and my favorite forms of entertainment is trying to figure out what's going to, what our kids are going to end up doing, what those, those grandkids are going to end up doing. I'm pretty sure Lucas is going to be a massive athlete. You're going to see him. Uh, he's just good at it. Fenn's probably going to be um, a historian, scientist, philosopher, athlete. <laughs> Ollie's going to make the news. Um, we just don't know what page. You know, but he will be making the news. Uh, and, and to us, it's, it's fun to watch. 
because, you know, we raised our kids. We're done. Our job is to take the grandkids, apply sugar, and return. He will be great. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. What is this all up about? He's going to separate him. You could take a, a Nazarite vow without being a Nazarene. A Nazarite vow, Paul took one, if you remember. He shaved his head, for he had taken a vow. Then you're not going to cut your hair until the vow is over. Uh, you don't shave either until the vow is over. You don't touch wine or other strong drink. Uh, and by the way, wine or other strong drink, their wine was, generally speaking, not as alcoholic as your wine today. I, I'm, I don't know what the average would be. I'm thinking wine's around 12% here. They used water to cut wine. And you might be thinking, well, why would they do that? Because they needed to drink water, and the water they drank was awful. And so they flavored it a bit. But there's a difference in a natural and a commercial distillation. Sure. That separates them. It, it absolutely does. And that, that also allows a whole lot more variation, and that's why there was some good wine, bad wine, and sour wine. Uh, everybody know the French word for sour wine that you use when you go vinegar? Yes, sir. That's a good question. Uh, Tim asked, Jesus said um, that John the Baptist is the greatest man born of woman. Why? And, I'll, and what I'll do is, I'll, uh, because you're a lawyer, you'll appreciate this. I'll say what he actually said was there was no greater man born. So there may have been a tie. <laughs> but nobody, nobody bet greater than him. I think a couple of reasons. One, John faithfully fulfilled the role God gave him was zero support. There was no scripture that he could back up what he was doing. I know the Elijah running ahead thing, but we really applied that after. At the time, they didn't get that. He didn't have support from the authorities. He had no support from the synagogues or temples. He remained faithful, however, and humble, never making it about him, ever. It was always about Jesus. It was always about repentance, about doing the right thing. And um, when he died, he died in a way that it seems monstrously unfair at every turn. To the point where John was even trying to goad Jesus into action at that point. Asking his disciples, you go ask him, are you the one we're waiting for or should we look for another? Did John know he was the one? Yes. This is just a way of saying, come on, get in the fight. But Jesus had a different fight. And John died faithful. He, and he, and he, he threatened all, he threatened evil in every form, from the highest of the politicians to the common man's life. Absolutely. And he was in, because of, and because of this, Jesus would say this, I would add to it that when Jesus said it, he was also very emotional. And you have to allow the human to enter in. There's never been a better man. You know, I, I think there's never been a better wife than Cammie. Is that um, epistemologically true? In other words, true in the sense of 
among all women ever in life, there's, I don't know, I didn't marry them. Right? This is, this is what I know. Right? And we're allowed to say these things. How many, I've often said, one of these days there will be a fight. Knives will be drawn. Blood will be spilled among archaeologists fighting about the relics they have found. Who is the world's greatest dad? Right? Because there are plaques and t-shirts and everything everywhere. You know, we found the world's greatest dad. Almost like Elf, one of the best movies ever made. And if you don't like it, uh, we can't be friends. And I'm not really sure you're a Christian. But the, um, on Elf, he sees the sign, world's greatest coffee, and he believes it. Right? Um, and to him it is. To Jesus, he could have had no one better go ahead of him, he's saying. This guy did his job. I'm proud of him. He was also emotional. So we're, we say things like blameless. They were you know, blamelessly. That's, that's hyperbole. We all understand that. And it says, it's sweet that it's in scripture. Patrick, can you Where? imagine the thousands, of, hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands of people that lined up on the Jordan with this old man wearing horse hair <laughs> with a beard and never, I mean, he was not nice or clean and yet baptized them by the hundreds and the hundreds and the hundreds absolutely Uh, and I would uh, the one word that I would change is he was really a young man because he never had a chance to become old Um, I I think of him I think our version of him and most people in the room this will mean nothing to but it will to you um, as a raccoon John Smith yes Yes. All right. some of you know if you don't know that term you have to put Raccoon John Smith in quotes when you go to Google or, or, or he'll be on page 80 or something and nobody goes to page two. So um, Raccoon John Smith was a wild backwoodsman who came to the restoration movement, Alexander Campbell, yes. guy that started this church here, uh, loved him but was a little afraid of him because he was gruff. Uh, he did a lot of stuff. One, one example is that he saw... He was going by on a horseback, um, and he saw people down at the creek, and this preacher was baptizing babies. And he came back out on the shore. John got off the horse, went over, grabbed him, slung him on his back, and started walking out in the river. And the guy was yelling, who are you? What are you doing? He says, I'm going to baptize you. He goes, I don't want you to baptize me. And he stops, and he goes, you have to want me to baptize you? And he says, yes came back, put him on the shore, and he said, then don't baptize these babies until they want to be. <laughs> I mean, subtle, uh, but um, I think he got his point across. A <sighs> um, little rough, little rough around the edges, but to give him his due, when he met at Cane Ridge, Kentucky, with a mass revival outside, all kinds of different churches, there was tongue speaking and ecstatic utterances and people fainting and running around, but he found Barton... Uh, W. Stone's people who um, were on the same track as we were but Stone didn't believe that Jesus was co-eternal with God very much like the Arians in the first few centuries or the Jehovah's Witnesses today he believed that Jesus was the first thing created above all creation but not eternal of the same essence of God Yet, whenever he spoke of his faith in God and that Jesus was the Christ, 
raccoon John Smith walked over and he said, upon that basis, I offer you to end the fellowship. In other words, we can talk about the particulars later. If you love Jesus and he, you think he's the Messiah, we'll go from there. And Stone's movement was a lot bigger than Campbell's at that stage. Right. So it would, it, I find it fascinating. That's how open-minded we were at one time. Don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. I get that. But, yes, sir. And it was so interesting that Stone's preaching was so strong <clears throat> that he would bring entire audiences just down, I mean, on their knees, and yet he didn't know about an invitation until later one of his colleagues said, you need to begin to extend the invitation, and then they just baptized people all over the place then. That's so amazing. It, it is. And he didn't know the invitation because he came from a religious tradition that didn't do that, right. the Presbyterians. Yes. And whenever he got fired, because <laughs> to, to be ordained, uh, and they had this reordaining thing you had to do every, every so often, you had to say that you would, um, uh, they would ask you, do you believe the Westminster Confession of Faith? I think it was at that time. Uh, and his response was, insofar as it agrees with the scripture, I do. And that was not a sufficient answer. They did not like that. So he gave him another chance. He did the same thing. So he fired him. Patrick, I found something really interesting late. You'll enjoy this. When in Psalms 2, Father said, David, of course, speaking, but he said to Jesus before the creation of time, today I have become your father. You're my son. Some use that as that beginning. But no, he just changed his role from what he had been from eternity. And that seemed to have, that seemed to maybe have made a difference in Stone's life. Yeah, he had, I used to have every copy of um, the Gospel Messenger, oh, yeah. which was his paper. It was a, a facet, not a facsimile, what do you call it? I didn't have the real paper. They took pictures of everything and printed the pictures. And so it took up a whole bookshelf. And I've, I followed the arguments for like three volumes, and then I went, you know, I think each of you are hammering your own nail at this stage. And I'm not sure you're... So I, I, I just quit. Um, real quick here, we'll finish it up. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their Lord and their God. Now I want you to remember what Israel means. And we're going to read it again. He will bring back many of the people who wrestle with God to God, their God. Israel means those who wrestle with God. And that's the name God gave his kids. <laughs> okay. Um, that'll be fun. I remember my son said he, that uh, we were looking forward to him coming down in November. And he said, yeah, uh, Cuddy, uh, Cubby, or Colin, uh, he'll be two years old this week, is as big as the five-year-old and weighs more now. And it's going to be just like Duncan. He said, he's looking forward to wrestling you. And I'm going, I'm, I'm not so sure I am. Maybe I can, maybe I can have Dave over it and he'll wrestle Dave. <laughs> well, 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 I, you just, uh, oof. I anyway. the name Jacob then follows the children of Israel through all the years as the one who wrestled with God. As the one who wrestled with God. We'll finish this with this verse. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit, power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous 
to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I find that fascinating. That is not the mission I would have used. That's not the way I would have used to describe his mission because I think in 20th century terms, in 21st century terms, uh, preaching. He says, turn the hearts of the parents to their, their children. Uh, and, I'll, and again, time is up. I'll put it this way. The most Christian nation on the planet in 1930 was China. By the middle of the 1930s, it was an atheist country. In less than 10 years. When, and I've heard this from so many sources, when you ask the survivors of the, um, you know, John Chik and Chang Kek and, oh, I can't remember all the different names, um, how this happened, the response is almost always, we assumed our children believed. We didn't teach our children. He's saying, you have got to go back home and teach this. We have got to get who we are, our identity back and a disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make people ready for what's coming next. Next week, I'll be away. Trace Bear, one of your shepherds, is going to preach. He always does a magnificent job. And Dr. Lemons is going to teach this class. And I've told him just to take us where we are and go forward. And he keeps going, no, no, I got something I'm going to do. So it's going to be special. And it's a surprise. So please uh, wear protective gear. And I will see you later. Cheerio. Run away. <laughs>